I've called this the animal and the machine because I, I think there's there's two main parts to us. And the most recent one is the calculating one, which is cold, really. But that's fine because the animal is, is the warm part. The animal is the one with the spirit. The animal is the one that actually enjoys life. I mean, the, the machine literally can't, but that's fine. So it's about understanding yourself. And once you know all this, then you know how to get everything else. I'm going to tell you all the answers to all the big questions. James. I've been told I think a lot. That apparently is who I am. Uh, never mind. It's good for having answers. So I have literally thought about everything. Uh, now I'm comfortable with the universe. In fact, I'm quite a happy chap. And I can help my friends apparently, um, which is nice. And my friend Simon said to me, he said I should really just sort of do something with it. You know, it's like I'm letting down the world by not sharing the stuff, which is very kind of him. So I thought I'd come out and say it all. So what I've, what I've concluded is the meaning of life. I've concluded uh, the meaning to happiness. I know the answer to all these things. And I'm just coming to share, really. The funny thing is, before we get there, you have to understand yourself and the meaning of life. You can't, you can't get to the answer there uh, until you know who you are. No, you, ha- you do have to know yourself before you know The old phrase is know thyself. You say no oneself, or you could say know myself. I mean, that's what it really is. I, I know myself. It all starts back to the universe and the beginning of life. Energy is the key to pretty much everything. It, it's physics all the way down. You need energy to be alive. You need energy for food. And there's laws of physics around this energy. You, you cannot make it. You have to sort of consume it. You have to take it in. Again, we could touch on entropy, um, but the only thing you really need to know about entropy is that it, it's a killer. If if you're in space and you haven't got the means to do anything, you will run out of energy one way or another. You know, with with energy, you can replace anything. You just need a certain amount. You know, you need energy to do it. Energy can only be transferred, so you evolve to be efficient with it. Now, we need to understand yourself in the evolutionary terms. So let's understand evolution a bit more, like where it all starts, where it all comes from. And the next step along is what is evolution? How is evolution important and where does it come from? Why is there evolution? Evolution itself is just a logical process. It's quite simple. It's the most efficient. You have two animals and limited supply of food. The one that gets there first will get to the food and probably eat it all because then they won't die of hunger. They have children. It's lo- evolution is a logic process which is why it's a natural process. It's not constrained, which means it's continually going on for everything. It's how it also applies to economics as well. E- evolution is it's just a natural state. So where do we come from? It, well, you think about where we come from. We've come from something, some chemical accident happened a long time ago. And from there, evolution began with the thing that possibly even 
considered life. Same way, actually, technically, we don't consider viruses life. Actually, they affect life, but they're more of, more biomechanical machine than they are actually a living thing. They're they're pretty much just uh, you know using programming terms. They're pretty much just bits of code floating around. A long time ago, this uh, who we are began uh, life just as beginning chemicals, and whatever repeated itself repeated itself. Anything that didn't is gone. So there would have been things that happened that are inert. Well, you know, six billion years later, don't need to worry about that. You've just got the next bit. Now, over time, this becomes more complex. Uh, as random chance happens, things work and things get better. And you start to get more familiar with the life itself. So, you know, you can talk about if you can see, suddenly you can see around you. History is a collection of now. It's the next now. We are always in the now. No one is ever not in the now. You don't live in history. You live in the now. And that applies to animals as well. An animal that's down on an evolutionary past was not somehow magically part of our past. It was in its now. And we are descendant from that. And that thing had to survive. And if it evolved anything which affected reproduction, then it wouldn't reproduce and it would die out. What this means is over time, evolution is just a succession of nows. You are in this now, and the things you do, decisions you make, how you react, affect how you will survive the now, as they did before. So the funny thing is, is that there's no preference to the survivability of any of your genes. Any of them could disappear at any point. But what you've got here is you've got tested by time. So, for example, with reproduction, if you did anything to you now that affected reproduction, you do not reproduce. So, so what this means is at every next now, you, whatever you're taking on, cannot affect the things that helped to succeed in the past. You cannot remove the want to drink water without resulting in death. You cannot remove the want to eat without resulting in death. So even though there's no selection preference to your genes, any new evolutionary adaption that comes along must not affect anything that already exists that helps you survive. And what that means, the oldest traits are the strongest. A trait being old is not the reason the trait is strong, but is the perfect proxy for that strength. Each thing that's come along has had to either leave it alone or positively reinforce it. And you can see this with things like being hungry. And you, later on, you get the emotional intelligence evolve. And then you become hangry. That is a late evolutionary step. You're getting an emotional grrr coming out from being hungry. In, in regards to genes and say, yes, you're going to die, and the selfish gene itself, that leads us to understand about how if you've got sisters or brothers they are also majoritarily similar to you. Helping your family is helping the majority of yourself. And actually, from a species point of view, due to a dramatic volcano incident about 10,000 years ago, our species got whittled down quite a lot. And our diversity within our species is, is very narrow. There's pretty much nothing between any people on this planet. Um, we can see the differences in our eyes between individual people on a genetic level, we're pretty much identical. And, and that's why we want to save children. It's because they are effectively us. We want to save them to save us. We, it, it works that way. 
it's separate from from right or wrong here i'm not saying you should or you shouldn't actually i'm just telling you the mechanism that we operate within this universe your needs start with the basic one and actually again this is where evolution and physics crosses with economics because actually maslow's hierarchy of needs does a great job showing evolutionary preference you have a basic needs that need to be met first or you die you know you could even take it to the oxygen and water level you need to breathe you need you need that energy in you need heat and light you need all the things going up the hierarchy before we can then look at self-actualization and 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 this is actually just a simple evolutionary logic and you think about how these traits arrive you think about if if you're a fish you're just surrounded by water it can be it's pretty much a given it's the same way we don't really sense oxygen we're not not really aware of it and um, we know when there's a problem <laughs> but we're not we don't really not really aware and we can't really taste water either it's it's just our baseline it's our normal but then you think how the first animals came onto land suddenly you're not in water. In the late Devonian period, about 380 million years ago, you had the amphibians. They had to stay near water. The, the skin hadn't yet evolved to retain the water because it didn't matter when you're in it. So the first creatures coming out would need to go back in the water to make sure they, they stayed hydrated. And what this means is other parts become linked to it. Now we could hear at that point. So you think the animals that came on land, they could hear water. Now, if hearing water allows you to get to water and you survive, then hearing water becomes a part of what makes your genes survive. It becomes an evolutionary factor in what's driving evolution. And what that means is people undervalue things like hearing water, hearing a beach, hearing a stream. You undervalue it, but, but actually it's a core element of who you are. You think about how nice it is to hear a beach. And you know, as that probably came about from the amphibian era, I don't have the evidence for that. This is my own reasoning. Then the lizards descended from them, as did the mammals from the lizards. So what that means is dinosaurs must have enjoyed the sound of the waves too. And it's quite profound sometimes. You think that you share that thing with dinosaurs. Primates appear in our fossil record 65 million years ago. And that's where tribalism starts. It's the birth of our emotional intelligence. This is where... I'm hangry, previously evolved from I'm hungry, is again reinforced and becomes I'm angry, you're not sharing. And us humans break out from other apes about 7 million years ago. And this is the point where our legs evolve for running and our teeth adapt to eat roots. Now we are a very fresh branch of apes. We're still mostly the same as apes. And we think about 1.7 million years ago, we started to use fire. And fire has an incredible effect on energy levels, as cooked food is easy to digest, which means we claim more of it before it passes through, and it kills pathogens and parasites, you know, which take energy for themselves and therefore from us. The fire revolution, as it were, is akin to the agricultural revolution. It allowed the human branch at that time to have spare energy, but a considerable amount of spare energy. And so that gives you an energy surplus that can be pumped into the next thing. And we pumped it into our brains. Homo sapiens arrived about 300,000 years ago, which is really recent. Now, and, and what this means is our species campfire is still roughly about one and a half million years before that. So we were using fires roughly one and a half million years before we actually were human. With our brains that arrived at that time, 
we could then start telling stories and language. The last glacial period started around 115,000 years ago, ending only about 11,500 years ago. In the middle of that, there was a new extinction event that wiped out most of our species when the supervolcano Mount Toba blew and triggered a volcanic winter. The survivors were just a few, and we all come from them. It is why, from a species perspective, we're pretty much genetically identical. Pretty much every kid out there is basically your kid. You help a child, you're helping your own child near enough, which means you're helping yourself. Now, with the end of the last ice age 10,000 years ago, that's when you get considerable sea level rise. And if you think about where most of the people were, it's where the land met the sea for many reasons. One, that the sea is a much easier terrain to go over with the boat. So transport-wise, also you've got diversified resources. You've got fish in the sea, animals on land. So coastal is where it's at. But with ice melting 10,000 years ago, sea level rise, all of those are covered over. So our land history is missing a whole chunk. And you think about also 10,000 years ago, what are our oldest stories? You've got, got Noah and the Flood is, is from that era. You, you see it all over the world, in fact. You can trace the end of the last ice age in our, our cultural memory. Uh, you know, we are a meta-organism. Our society's rules are our meta-brain, our meta-adaptation. So I, at this point, I need to dive in more into what the machine is. In the last part of our evolution, with that extra energy and building our brain, we have suddenly a more able way of becoming self-aware. Now, we've no doubt been pretty much self-aware to some degree for a long time. I'm certain all mammals have an element of being self-aware. But with the last part of our brain, the higher reasoning starts to kick in. To elaborate further on the body and the evolution, you know, you have different tastes. You constantly think where the evolutionary driver for this is. Like, why do you have more than one taste? Well, you have different needs. You've got salt. You need salt. You chemically don't function without salt. You need sweetness. You need energy. I mean, it's core. Sweet and salt are massive elements here. Now, umami, well, you need protein. Sour. Well, sour is quite handy, and it's a bit more complicated because it's both good and bad, for, as in the things out there. You know, sour could mean it's, it's, uh, it's still got fruit. It's still a fruit, even if it's a bit sour. Or it could mean it's going off, so it's a tricky one. Bitterness is a great one. We generally don't like bitter things. and You can acquire the taste, but it's to let you know if things are really bad. <laughs> or poisonous. It's bitter. It's probably things in there that your body can't get rid of quick enough. Again, like, where is this coming from? So this whole podcast is the animal and the machine, and I've not really touched on it yet. And what it actually is, is because of your... Conscious thinking self is the machine, and your emotions are the animal. So you are both, but they are also separate, as well as you. Like I said, you're made up of all sorts of things. You can almost split your brain in different ways. It's also why saying things out loud is helpful, because you engage the vocal part of your brain, and you engage the hearing part of your brain, as well as the thinking words part of your brain. So if you want to remember things better, say it out loud and listen to yourself that's the understanding we're looking for here how you've come to be and how it's built on the previous ones the thought experiment that i use for this to help you understand how deeply ingrained evolution is into you and how you think and how you value things if you have a simple choice and it's the trolley problem 
if you could save a human child or a gorilla, which would you save? Obviously, save the human child, but you're still sad about the gorilla. So then you move down. So you save the child. Now you get to save the gorilla or a bear. Which do you save? I choose the gorilla. Okay, now you've got the bear or an alligator. And the alligator or a fish. A fish or a mollusk. A mollusk or an ocean worm. Yeah. And you think a mollusk or an ocean worm. You choose the mollusk. In fact, even the ocean worm, you think, think about a parasite. You choose the ocean worm over like a parasite. And why is this? These, these all things are most similar to you. You can look back at each one of these down the evolutionary tree. And the further away it is from you in the evolutionary tree, the less it's like you. So this, this is your preference built into you for yourself as a species. And it obviously works in reverse too. So how it comes along to who you are, who you're built up with. The reason why you have a preference for yourself is that it's actually a survival trait. You're guarding your own genetic material and you're programmed to do it by your genes. You care for the child because it's similar to you. It's similar to most of you. This is the theory behind the selfish gene and it's absolutely true. You're programmed to want to protect as much about yourself as you can. You're programmed to not want to die. That's not even because there's any meaning to life, which I'll get to at another point. It's literally the replication part coming through. If you didn't have that drive, then you wouldn't survive. And then the next generation wouldn't happen, except from you're that next generation. So that was locked into your predecessor. Your body's working in subdivision. You've evolved. The funny thing about the human body, it's just a smashed together load of crazy nonsense in a way. And whatever works, best works. So the same gene that does one thing could do 20 different things. This is also why you have side effects with drugs. Because, oh yeah, I've managed to fix that headache of yours, but the thing it fixed is also the same thing that's slightly used so you can hear, so now you're slightly deaf. Now that's an entirely made up example, but that's the idea. You know, you notice these things, you see how things interconnect, it just all becomes a bit clearer. You're not a one or a zero, you're not, not just dead or alive. You are incredibly complex. In fact, you could even say that you were an infinitely complex self-symbiont, which is an oxymoron, but it has a much better explanation of what you are. What's an interesting extension of this is the clash it has with the supposed neutral stance of science. Now, nothing can actually have a neutral stance, but what I'm thinking of is do elephants grieve is, is a wonderful example, because apparently there's no evidence that they grieve. We can't prove it, and therefore we can't say they do. And the neutral stance taken is, is therefore that, that they don't. And yet anyone with an ounce of common sense would come at you and go, yeah, I, I believe the scientific method and all, but actually your starting premise is already loaded. An elephant compared to, let's say, a lizard is closer to you. It's a mammal and, and so on down to a mushroom. I think the line could be drawn at bacteria. So does an elephant grieve? It's close to say they're like humans. They're not. And humans grieve. So actually your starting stance based on pure logic of how similar we are is yes, and you should prove it otherwise. With all animals, you should take the point that they do suffer, that they do grieve, that they do care, and then you prove that they don't. And it's a much safer way of doing it. Science says that I'm trying not to anthropomorphize because they're not the same as us. Well, actually, they pretty much are the same as us. What you're doing is not taking a neutral stance is your, your bacteriomorphizing, which is a word I've just invented, 
but it's to say that the elephant is closer to bacteria than it is to you. Bacteria don't grieve. So we need to finally get to know you after all that, okay? And energy's core. Needing energy to get energy is at the very beginning of who you are, combining with replication. You know, you need if you don't replicate, then you die. Is is how evolution sees that. And that that's why people say they live through their children, because effectively, in a way, they do. That you can live through other people's children it, to the same means, you know. If you don't have children yourself, but you help a nephew, then that's pretty close. Your body is optimized for energy a lot. The animal, you, is continually trying to manage this energy. If age is the perfect proxy for strength, then what you've got there is you can define which parts of you are stronger than other parts of you. You can work it forward and you can understand how you can feel weakness at yourself and angry at yourself. You know, this is how we move away from that, how you can be content. Love is an interesting one. Love is absolutely an animal. It's a massive part of the animal. And the machine gets confused by it because it's an animal emotion. It doesn't really get it. You can be confused by what you love. It's because logic isn't the answer. And, but the thing is, it's, it's about how you care and where you care. You care in the animal. You don't care in the machine. And the machine evolved at the last bit to help the animal survive. Well, that's not quite true. The whole thing survives. But the key to happiness is in the animal. It's not in the machine. With this information, you can actually get your best strategies. Get to know yourself. You can see how you can actually win at things. Instead of filling the fridge full of food and opening it and being frustrated that you've then gone and eaten everything inside the fridge, you know that you just don't fill the fridge up in the first place. You open up the fridge and you see there's no food. You can be happy that you've got it all. And a great great example here is the lion. The lion, lions are one of the few big animals that are happy in a zoo. Uh, and why is that? Because you give them a small cage, they've got a small territory, which means there's less work. You know, they are cats. They are very much act like a cat. I'm like, yep, there's all my territory. I just move my head around. And it's all mine and it's all safe. So, happy cat. The lion's unique that way. But it's about understanding the animal evolution explains you the oldest traits get carried through and built on and new ones arrive and then they get built on some get dropped as time goes by but the really best ones the strongest ones get reinforced with the next level every new development like an immune system or your eyesight has to at least not impact the ones to eat or procreate or the next generation won't exist so this, the oldest traits are left to clear path or are actively reinforced by later evolutionary traits. Being, being hungry gets reinforced by emotions to become hangry. It's not that the trait is old, that it's strong, but it's the perfect proxy. You have an internal hierarchy and that is the essence of the animal and the machine. Now, a lot of us like to think that if we're intellectual, then it's superior. <laughs> and this is again, this is, this is like the self-folly. However you are for yourself, you think it's the best. It's part of our instincts and it is a mistake. So if you think you're really sporty, then think sporty is the way to be. And if you're you're really good at solving puzzles and following intellectual pursuits, then often you may think, well, I'm superior that way, you know, or I am superior. And it's not true. I mean, there's there's no way to define superiority. So that's complete nonsense anyway. Where it hurts you personally is where your intelligence tries to overrule 
the animal, the machine says, can't do that. It's why losing weight is hard. Your, your body saying, I'm hungry, feed me. The intelligence part that's connected to your social part says, no, I want to be fit. I want to be thin. Don't do that. Well, which one's stronger? It's the animal. It takes a lot of mental effort to overcome that. And the best way, by knowing yourself, you find better tactics. You find better strategies to make it easy. If you don't buy the thing in the first place, it's not there for you to eat. Know yourself. Don't buy those crisps that you just have to eat the whole pack of. You are the animal and you are the machine. And you need to respect yourself. You need to respect how you work. You need to understand how it flows. You need to understand the drivers, the constraints. You need to get a handle on it. Your food is, again, a better example. So if you know yourself as the animal and the machine, you can, you can you get that point. Your brain says, I don't want to eat that food. I don't want to eat that giant bar of chocolate. It's too much. But your body goes, mm, num, num, num. Your animal goes, num, num, num. Your, your animal is in the now. It's always in the now. It doesn't really have a sense of the future or the past. It's always in the survival immediate. It will want to eat the whole chocolate bar. And then you get sad at yourself. Again, sad is the animal emotion, but it's triggered by the brain. I mean, the healthy interact says that was wrong and scolds the animal and the animal gets sad. The reason why is because your brain changes what it wants. There's a hierarchy to your brain. So you're in this cycle of eating the food, too much of it, and then feeling sad about it. That comes from these evolutionary drivers. Animal is older and the animal is stronger and the animal wants to eat the food and it keeps going. And then the machine, as the animal's appetite gets slated, it doesn't have that appetite anymore. And then it can flip and suddenly you don't have that hunger feeling. It's not in there. The mix of who you are as an emotional entity changes and that hunger isn't there. And suddenly, because it's not blocked by the animal, the machine part can come and go, that was bad. Shouldn't have eaten that. And then with the ticking off, like your own internal parent, you then feel sad. <laughs> so you want to come up with strategies that support the animal, recognize the animal's needs and recognize the machine's needs. It doesn't necessarily mean buying smaller chocolate bars because then you just eat two of them. It's harder. Trust your senses. Think about what you like. Think about who you are. Once you get that, you can unlock the key to happiness. You can unlock the meaning of life. I can answer all the big questions for you. I can tell you if you have free will or not. I'm actually, I think a lot of this seems obvious to a lot of people, but some people get some gain for it. So I, I can help you there. I'm trying to get things like inner peace, it's important, but you have to have the things around it. Again, that's Maslow's hierarchy of needs right there. You need to have these elements satisfied. There's a trend for mindfulness, and it's a good trend. It's only half the picture. Now, a lot of the good elements of mindfulness is the listening to those things that make you happy. You know, the sounds of the rivers, the birds, the quiet time. That's very important, as is trying to be in the moment. But where mindfulness goes wrong is it has an underlying assumption that everything's okay. And everything is not always okay. And if the moment is horrible, because I don't know, you've been... <laughs> you've, I don't know if you've been attacked by a random badger and your leg hurts then being in the moment is not where you want to be you want to put your head somewhere in the future you want to be somewhere else so mindfulness won't work unless you have the elements that you need to be yourself
if you like this, you like what I'm doing, and if you want to support me, then go visit theanimalmachine.com. Um, find me on Patreon and send some money my way if you want to. You don't have to. This is a free broadcast if you want to listen or not. Uh, but help is welcome. Just like listening, that's fine too. So next time, key to happiness. I'm James. This is the Animal Machine because you are, and I'll talk to you next time.